G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is part of our Gospel Identity series and it focuses on Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 11. Delivering the sermon is a very special guest, Archbishop Philip Aspinall, who visited St. John's for our first service, our first face-to-face service in a number of months. The Archbishop outlined his thoughts on our gospel identity and also on our hopes for the future. Enjoy the sermon. These words were spoken and heard with the power of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christopher and I are very pleased to be with you in Dolby this morning. Um, it's a great morning to be able to gather again after months and months and months of not being able to be in church. We're all a bit zoomed out or <laughs> whatever other platforms you've been using. Very, very strange days, but lovely to be able to be together, even though our gatherings are a little different too, with the distancing and communion only in one kind. Things are not going to go back to exactly what they used to be. And we're on a journey of inventing together a new future that God is calling us into. So I'll be assured of my prayers as we do that work together. If you want to give Christopher and me credit for the rain, too, that's <laughs> Lovely drop of rain. We stayed in Toowoomba last night and drove out this morning, and it's... Um, Gentle, lovely, lovely, soaking rain all the way. So that's terrific. At some time in your life, you have probably seen a diptych, whether you realised it or not. A diptych is one of those religious pictures that's in two panels that are kind of hinged together. You know the ones I mean? If you get a three-paneled one, that's a triptych. Diptych, I want you to have in mind today, two panels. Sometimes it's, and they're produced like that because together the panels interpret one another. So sometimes you might see St. Paul in one panel and St. Peter in the other panel. St. Peter was the apostle to the Jews and St. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So together they say something about the gospel being for everyone. Sometimes you see John the Baptist and Jesus in in hinged panels like that. And together, they make sense. John the Baptist is the one who came to prepare the way for the greater one who was to come after him, and that's Jesus. So here is the one who prepared the way, and here is the one who fulfills things. Um, Sometimes you see Elizabeth and Mary being pregnant pregnant together, pregnant with the one who will prepare the way, Mary pregnant with the one who will fulfil things. Uh, Sometimes you see Mary and Jesus together, and that says, "This, this one who we know to be God had a human mother. So this is both human and divine together in one person. You get the idea? Now, I'll go through all this rigmarole because today's epistle reading is really the second panel in a diptych. It's 
to understand today's reading, you really need to go back to the end of chapter 7 in Romans. And these two panels interpret one another. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, And the passage, the first panel in the diptych was last week's epistle reading, the last portion of chapter 7. And in that, in chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, Paul puts his finger on the basic human dilemma and he repeats it three times. That's how much he wants to emphasise it. In chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do what I hate. And then he adds, but it's no longer I who do this, but the power of sin dwelling in me. That's the first time. Then in chapter 7, verse 18, he says, the will to do good is there, but the power to achieve it is not. And then he goes on to say, but if I do what I do not want, then it is no longer I who do it, but the power of sin dwelling in me. That's the second time. And finally, in 7 verse 21, he says, When I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. And he goes on, I am held captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members. That's the dilemma that all human beings face. I know what's right, I want to do what's right, but I find myself doing something else, as if some inner power compels me to. It's a dilemma as old as the human race itself. Paul makes the point that simply setting rules or imposing regulations doesn't help. Law, far from ensuring people do the right thing, often has the opposite effect. It evokes rebellion and hostility. An external code imposed on people from outside doesn't work. There's an inner problem, a kind of inner force or power which seems to compel or control me and means that I do things that I don't want to do. That's how St Paul understands sin as a kind of power at work within us, compelling us or controlling us in spite of what we know is right and in spite of our desire to do what's right. Left to our own resources, we can do nothing about it because this power dominates us and drags us into failure. That's the first panel of the diptych. And then facing it is this, today's epistle reading, the the beginning of chapter 8. What we have in panel 1 is a picture of the human struggle based on human resources alone. Panel 2 shows us the same struggle, but this time with the presence of the Holy Spirit. In panel 1, 
The power of sin is in control, but in panel two, the spirit is the dominant force. The presence of the spirit opens a new possibility that wasn't there before. Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law could not do. To be in Christ is to live in a new kind of atmosphere, to be energised with a new kind of power, to have life shaped by a new force because of what God has done in Paul says human beings are no longer locked into an uneven struggle dominated by the power of sin. Now human beings are living under the force and power of the Spirit, which brings a brand new possibility. Christ lived in the flesh, that is, he was truly and fully a human being, but he did not live according to the flesh. That is, he was not controlled or dominated by the power of sin. By living that life, by living within human life, Christ struck at the basic human problem from within. He fully entered into the life of the flesh and from within the human condition struck at the problem, the power of sin, at very great personal cost. He resisted the power of sin from within the human condition and unleashed a new power of the spirit. This new power at work in him and in us is a gift from God so that we can do what God intends, live the life God wants. This is very dense theology, but really important to get hold of. And it might make more sense through a story, a parable. From the age of 12, Brett became impossible to handle in the local high school. He flouts all the rules, he's constantly thrown out of class as a disruptive influence. Now he's beginning to get into trouble with the law, breaking into houses, attempting to steal cars, serious acts of vandalism. The headmaster is at his wit's end. Threats and the imposition of penalties, giving Brett detentions, suspending him from class and all of that only seemed to make him worse, more rebellious and hostile. Nothing seems to be left except to expel him and send him to reform school and probably prison not too far down the track. David, a young teacher, has other ideas. He hasn't had any greater success in controlling Brett than the other teachers, but he knows a little bit more about Brett's history. He's learned that Brett's father left home when the boy was about eight 
after years and years of drunken, violent assault on his mother, his younger sister, and Brie himself. David suspects that deep within Brett, there is a fearful trauma caused by years of suffering at the hands of a violent father. This has made it impossible for Brett to respond rationally to authorities, whether in the shape of school rules or the law of the land. David begins to visit Brett's home. He gets a welcoming response from Brett's increasingly desperate mother, but Brett himself remains distant, cool and suspicious. He does respond, however, to join David on some outings, going together to amusement parlours and occasional film, sometimes visiting David's apartment. Brett's behaviour, though, on these occasions is frequently bad. He disappears without saying a word to David. He wrecks David's stereo system, breaks into his car and try, tries to drive off. His language is foul, often. There are occasions of real physical violence. There's virtually no communication for weeks on end. But David perseveres. He knows he's being tested. One day, they're sitting by the sea, eating fish and chips, watching the waves. For some reason, there's a new sense of being comfortable in each other's presence. Brett talks a bit about his background, his feelings, the conflicts he's experienced. It's only a start. There are many more occasions of conflict and hurt for David. But gradually, they begin to be able to speak to each other. Gradually, it becomes possible to discuss values that might lead to a way of life less in conflict with his family, his school, and the authority figures in the community. 18 months later, 18 months, Brett is still far from being fully at peace. He remains moody and suspicious, but he is doing his schoolwork. He's not had a brush with the law for more than a year. He respects other people's property and their rights to live undisturbed. Somehow, through the relationship with David, the values that the school regulations and the law enshrine, things which he violently rejected in their form as law, he has quietly absorbed. Gradually, he's letting those values shape his life into a more peaceful and creative pattern. David has paid a heavy cost, but Brett, in a real sense, has been put on the path of a more fully human life. Can you see the parallels between Brett's story and what St Paul talks about in that diptych. Before David intervened, 
Brett's life was dominated and controlled by the destructive forces unleashed by his father's abusive behaviour. Rules and regulations and law were poured onto Brett. Things, rules for him to follow, ways to behave, he was told, he knew it. But all they did was increase his rebellion. Brett could not do what the law wanted because of that inner trauma of guilt. David came alongside Brett. He got inside Brett's situation and allowed healing to start to happen. And notice that David paid a substantial price for doing so. It was a very costly thing to do. But the effect was that Brett slowly started to change from within. A new kind of possibility emerged for him. A new power was unleashed in his life. In the same sort of way, Paul sees that what God did in Christ was unleashing a new power of the Spirit for those who are in Christ. And notice too, that the lives of Christian people are the way God lives out God's character of goodness and love. God's faithfulness to the world, God's if and invitation to the world, are conveyed through the very bodies of Christian people and their costly faithfulness to others. That's exactly what we mean say at the end of the Eucharist, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, send us out in